Good to see you this morning, time of worship. Hope you had a great week. Uh, did you enjoy yesterday? The weather? That was sunshine we saw, okay? Just if you didn't know what it was, after uh, how many days, you know, I thought maybe Noah was going to show back up after a while and we'll have another, you know. But God did promise uh, not to send another universal flood. I just thought this one was going to wipe out the state of Illinois. So, um, anyway, okay. Uh, if you're here this morning for the first time in a while, uh, this summer, we always try in the summer to do series that would actually connect the dots somewhat, but not necessarily something that if you missed a week because we realized this is being summer once again. We have so many folks that are in and out of during the summer because of vacation. We have so many young families that take vacation as soon as school's out, so that's what's happened. And, you know, it's good to see all of you. Last service, we had nobody like in five rows. I was like, right in the middle. I'm going like, everybody was out spread out around the corners. And I'm going like, what's the deal? These are the prime seats right here, you know? So um, normally if you're at a concert or something, you'd pay extra money for these seats. But church, maybe start charging for the seats. Maybe that would cause, cause more people to sit down front. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, uh, but anyway, we're doing a series this summer that, that's talking about relationships. And, and in a sense, what we've done is uh, share with you, this is the third week of the series. It's going through the mid-August. And and what we're doing is looking at relationships, and we're doing it in context of a passage of Scripture that many of you may know or heard before, but necessarily is not always looked at in regard to relationships, but it really has a lot to do with it. In Galatians chapter 5, we read these words, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. And then it gives us nine fruit, we call them fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we look at those and we're going like, well, you know, that is great, man. I'd love to have those things, but, but let me tell you something. If you had all of those in abundance, do you think your relationships would improve? Guarantee it. And so that's what we talked about. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about love. Last week, about uh, joy. So today, we're talking about peace. We're talking about peace. Now, I love, there's so, that the thing about this series is we start off with that verse, and I have, basically, it's a one word each week that we look at, one, one focus. And so I get to look at all the scripture in regards to uh, what it, the scripture talks about, particularly this, this week, this word peace, because there's so much. Now, if we had like several days, we could cover the whole Bible on this topic because the Bible has a lot to say about it, but we're, we're not. So, you know, going like, thank goodness. Uh, but today we're going to talk about some of the things the Bible has to say about it, and we're going to talk about how it helps us in our relationships. I love what it says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 8. It says this, Fools start fights everywhere, but wise men try to keep the peace. Basically, it's saying it's foolish to, to, to start arguments, but it's wise to keep the peace. Jesus himself basically said this in the Sermon on the Mount and, and the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He said, those who make peace. Now, before we get into our main thrust of the service today, talking about how we can have peace in relationships and how it plays out, I think there's two misconceptions that we have to kind of like get rid of right off the bat because sometimes we think that, um, that peace is this and it's not. So let me give you two misconceptions about peace, what it's not. Number one, peacemaking is not avoiding a problem. Peacemaking is not avoiding a problem. Uh, it's not running from a problem. It's not ignoring an issue. It's not pretending that it doesn't exist. It's not sticking your head in the sand. People simply avoid issues rather than face them. They'll say things like, well, let's just don't talk about it. I mean, like this week. Everybody's talking about the Supreme Court, right? Yes. 
ad nauseum, okay? And, uh, you know, he's talking about it, you know? And this morning somebody said, are you going to talk about the Supreme Court decision? No. Um, what I believe about what happened it doesn't change from last week to this week. I agree with what, they'll just give you, this is my two cents, okay? I agree. I think the best comment made was Franklin Graham basically said it this way. He says, you know, it says, God defined marriage to start with in Scripture, that marriage is between one man and one woman for, uh, for, forever. He said, so how can the Supreme Court, who did not define it to start with, redefine what marriage is? And so I agree with that. Okay, that's the stance that I have. But anyway, and I think as our churches are generally, we believe it. We love people, but we believe that there are certain things in life called sin. And we all sin in various ways, and so uh, that's, that's what it is. And so it hadn't changed. I mean, really, in the state of Illinois, it didn't change anyway, because... We already had what the Supreme Court said in the state of Illinois already is one of the, I forgot, 14 states that already allowed uh, uh, marriages between people of the same sex. So peacemaking, though, is not avoiding the problem. Some people just don't want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it forever, truthfully, and uh, that's kind of the deal. But let me tell you this. Uh, unresolved conflict, if we don't resolve a conflict, unresolved conflict is like termites in your relationship. You ever read Termites? Thank goodness. None of you have ever had termites? Not one person here ever had termites? Come on. Come on. You put all the termite people out of business? Okay. No, and let me tell you something. If you have termites and you don't know about them, or if you knew about them and didn't do anything about them, let me tell you, they can destroy a house. I saw a house one time almost literally fall down in my neighborhood in Virginia where this person lived there, and they did not take care of the termites. This older guy who just simply... You know, he was oblivious to everything in the world. And, and this house almost fell down because it, it's amazing what those little, little critters can do to a house. And, and so termites, uh, unresolved conflict is like termites in relationship. It won't, if you don't deal with an issue, eventually you'll bring the house down. That's what it'll do. So when you avoid a conflict, that is not peacemaking. That's cowardice. Number two, another misconception about peace. Peacemaking is not appeasing another person for the sake of peace. Appeasing means this. Have it your, give it, uh, you give in to their, your, their ways. You, have, you say, have it your way. Uh, do it your way. God doesn't expect you to be a doormat. Some people think for some reason that if, being a peacemaker and Jesus was like this guy that just, you know, he just like gave in to everybody. Well, no, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus never backed off a legitimate issue. When people say to you or say to me, when, because you're a Christian, you have to give in and do what I say, you know what that's called? That's called manipulation. That's what that's called. When you always give in to the other person, there's another name for that. It's called codependency. And that's not peacemaking. The result of appeasement is always resentment. It's kind of like this. When I swallow my feelings, guess what keeps score? My stomach. You ever had that happen? You don't deal with it. You just kind of swallow your feelings and your stomach keeps score. And call. That's why one of the number one, I think one of the number one drugs in America has to deal with stomach issues because we don't, we don't know how to deal with, with conflict in, in constructive ways. And we can't have a healthy relationship if we don't deal with issues and don't deal with, with uh, the problems we have in life. So those are two Those are two. Two misconceptions. Number one, peacemaking is not avoiding a problem. And number two, peacemaking is not appeasing another person for the sake of peace. Now, 
How do we be a peacemaker? This morning, if you take notes on, in the bulletin, there's on the back, there's a little acrostic. I don't know if you noticed that off, but, uh, but it spells peace. Isn't that cool? Took a while to figure out all the letters, but uh, uh, this kind of spells, that's because there's five points this morning, so we're going to talk about how to be a peacemaker, and you get to spell, spell something here. Okay, number one, if you're going to be a peacemaker, the first thing you have to do is plan a peace conference. You got to plan a peace conference. You're going like, what? Yeah, I mean, I mean you got to take the initiative. If you have an issue with somebody, you need to take the initiative and don't wait for them to make the first move. You know what it's, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus said this. If you remember that your brother has something against you, wait a few years and then go take care of it. No, that's not what it says. It says go at once to make peace. Don't delay. Don't wait. If you're the offender or the offended, the Bible says the ball is always in your court as a believer. You take the first step. And you say, well, they hurt me. Well, why should I do that? Jesus, because Jesus says so. He says he that if you're a believer, you're always to take the initiative in seeking peace, whether you've been the offended or the offender. Why? Because you know this. And I'm not telling you a thing you don't know. I mean, most of the tough stuff I tell you is I'm Captain Obvious most of the time, you know. Um, just to remind you, the longer you wait to resolve a relationship problem, it goes away, right? No. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. The problem just gets worse. Peacemakers always take the initiative. That's why in 1979, a guy named Anwar Sadat, who was the president of Egypt, did something that hadn't been done in 2,000 years. And he won the Nobel Peace Prize for it. What did he do? Those of you who are historians. I mean, some of you weren't born then, so, you know. So, I do remember this, okay? Uh, I was in college at the time, okay? Actually, in seminary. Um, 1979. All he did was take the initiative of going, this Egyptian president, he took the initiative of going and having a, a sit-down meeting. He was the first Arab leader to do this, to fly to Israel and say, hey, let's sit down and talk about this, the issues that we have. And because of that, he wins the Nobel Peace Prize. He took the initiative. No one had for 2,000 years. Now, so, if you're, going to, if you're having problems with someone in relationships, and I'm sure you do from time to time, if you don't have any now, you will, guaranteed, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. The first step is schedule a sit-down, face-to-face, peace conference, or maybe it'll take conferences, plural. You don't do it when it's good for you, you do it when it's good for them. You don't do it when they're hurried, tired, pressured, you do it when it's convenient for them. Uh, Psalm 34 says this, try to live in peace with everyone, and then it says this, work hard at it. So you know what it's saying? It's saying peace is not easy, but it's worth it. So the first step, the first thing to do is if we're going to have peace in our, in our relationships, is you, you need to schedule a peace conference. Number two. P-E. E. Empathize, empathize with their feelings. Empathize with their feelings. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Once you sit down and you decided you're going to have a meeting with someone, a, a, a peace conference with a person you're having a problem with, whether it's your husband, your wife, a parent, a teenager, a partner at work, a neighbor, whatever, the first thing you do is what? No, you don't talk. No, 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 no. You listen. You listen because the first thing we want to do when we're going through something is what? We want to just, we just want to talk, 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 talk. We want to get our point across. 
We think that resolving something is if they will just agree with me, everything will be fine. Well, no, that's not how what you do. The Bible says we need to empathize with their feelings. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. The first thing you do is listen. Listen to them. You don't talk. You, try to get, you don't try to get your point across. You just listen to them. You know why you do that? Because listening shows that you care. Listening shows that you care. People don't, you've heard this before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's the truth. The starting point is to listen because if you can, if you care, you'll be aware and, if, and you will empathize with their feelings and, and, and you let them say their piece before, before you try to deal with it. Sympathy, sympathy is saying, I'm sorry you hurt. Empathy, though, is saying, I hurt with you. And the Bible says we're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what empathy is. I love what, there's so many verses in Scripture that deal with this whole thing of listening and, and trying to understand, empathize. But my favorite of all time for, for, for husbands, okay, husbands, this is my favorite of all time for us because of what it says. Okay, it says this in Peter, uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This is a Phillips translation. It says this, you husbands should try to understand your wives, okay? It doesn't say you will. It says you will, it says you at least make an effort to try. I mean, I could, at this point in the sermon, I can tell you all kinds of jokes about husbands and wives, husbands trying to understand their wives, but I'm not going to tell you any jokes this morning about that because we all know them all. Um, but the reality is, is it doesn't say you're going to be able to do it. It just says you should try to understand your wife. But I believe that Scripture also tells us that it, that it is possible because in Philippians 4.13 it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even understand my wife. Okay? Some of you don't think this is funny at all. You have not been married more than five minutes. Because men are constantly over the thousand years, thousands of years of history of going like, I just don't understand her. No matter, you know, we try to, we try to, we try to, we just don't understand. But, you know, it says try anyway. Okay. Then it also says in Romans 15, it says this, we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and the fears of others. We must bear the burden. It says if you want to have great relationships, it says we... We're the ones who have to bear the burden of, the, of, of being considered of the doubts and the fears of someone else. And hold that in mind, those two things, doubts and fears. And then in Philippians 2, 4, it says, none of you should think only of his own affairs, but consider other persons' interest also. So what does it say? These two verses together saying that there are three things you need to empathize with if you value a relationship. Whether there is a conflict in a relationship, it's used, whenever there's a conflict in a relationship, it's usually because we're not sympathizing, you're not being considerate of another person's doubts, or a person's fears, or a person's interest. You're just kind of thinking of yourself. And it's saying, so we need to empathize, we need to connect with, you need to care uh, so you can be aware. Uh, notice that verse as well, that, that verse that's on the screen right now in Philippians 2 for what it says. It says there's one word that we didn't really look at. One word it says is the word consider. It says none of you should think all of his other affairs, but consider. Now that doesn't sound a very strong word, does it? But in the Greek, that's a very strong word. It's the word skopos. 
And skopos is a, is, is a word that means to scope out. It means like it's the, it's the root for telescope and microscope and, and stethoscope and the scope on a rifle, all those things. And what do those things do? What's it mean to have a scope? It means to literally to focus on, focus on, to pay attention to. And if you want to make peace with somebody, you've got to change the focus from what you're looking at, from what you need, your hurts, your wants, your fears, your doubts, and you need to focus on their needs, their hurts, their doubts, their fears. You need to empathize with them. When somebody is hurting you, and I've said this many times before, the reason sometimes they're hurting you is because of this. Hurt people hurt people. Some of the times when you're being hurt, it's because they're hurt, and you don't understand that if you just lash out and don't respond in a reasonable way. The reason people hurt others is because sometimes they're hurting inside themselves. So we need to look beyond the hurt that we're receiving and ask the question, what is hurting them that's causing them to hurt me in order to get to the issue? You focus on that person, that's what it means to empathize. And that's not natural. Because when I'm ticked off, what am I thinking about? When me, I'm personally ticked off, I'm thinking about Bill. What Bill cares? You know, it's all about me. That's what we do. You just put your own name in there. How they've abused my rights, how they've hurt me. When I'm angry, all I can think of is me. And what the Bible is saying here in relationships, I have to make a mental shift in which I choose to consider to focus on your needs, your doubts, your fears, your interests. And once I sit down and make the initiative to sit down at a peace conference, it's not just getting my point across. The first thing I need to do is I need to avoid just trying to do that. I need to, I need to, to, to listen first and ask, ask myself some questions. Now, one of the things that's interesting here, when I begin to think about this, is, is the reality that one of the, there's a real value. You know there's a real value in conflict? You're going like, no, nah, I hate conflict. Yeah, you know, most of us, I mean, you've got to be kind of sick to like conflict, Okay. But there's a real value in conflict in relationships. You know that? There's a huge value. How many of you like intimacy? Anybody here like intimacy? Raise your hand. However you define intimacy, okay, guys? It may be different than girls. You know, I don't know. You know, we like intimacy, right? Whatever that means. I'm not going to define it this morning, okay? But it's a great word. Do you know the key to intimacy is conflict? You're going, no. Y yeah. See, one of the real values of conflict is that when you resolve it, it always creates greater understanding. Couples that have had tremendous conflict and have worked through it and worked it out in their lives actually have greater understanding of each other than those who don't. Those who just kind of like live their life like everything's fine. When we know it's not. I'm sorry. You know, my wife and I have had, let's see, how many years have we been married now? 36 years this year, okay? I had to add it up in my head real quick, you know? And we have a great marriage. She's not here so I can talk about her. And, okay, and the thing is, I will tell you, there's been times of conflict. Nathan Major, you know, well, you know, it could have been Major, but we worked it out. We dealt with it. And when we dealt with it, it had, had our peace conferences. We didn't call them that, by the way. And, and we listened to one another, which I didn't do as well as she did. And we went through this whole process. Guess what happened? 
the outcome of that was intimacy in all kind of ways. So if you've never had any conflict, you probably always deal with everything on a surface level. You never really deal with the, the issues of life. But when you deal with conflict in a positive way and you resolve it, it creates more understanding. I understand you more. You understand me more. And that creates intimacy. See, the very thing that is often, that it's often going to separate you, if you'll go through it, and some uh, psychologists call it the tunnel of conflict, if you go through the tunnel of conflict, it'll actually bring you closer and make you stronger than if you just ignored the problem or hid the problem or pretended it didn't exist. So you need to learn to empathize. P-E-A. Okay, A comes next. Okay. The next thing we need to do if we want to have, uh, allow uh, relationships to be better is we need to attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Now, this is tricky, but it can be learned. This is a learned skill. Okay? This is a learned skill. So I was telling you, nobody does this well. See, on the one hand, you've got to attack the problem in your relationship, honestly, whether it's a friendship or a partnership or a marriage or whatever, but you've got to deal with it, not beat around the bush. But you face the truth about your relationship. On the other hand, you need to attack the problem without attacking the person. You need to speak the truth in love compassionately. I love what it says up there on that, on that verse. It says, bold reproof does what? Most of us think it makes us angry. You know, bold reproof, bold reproof is not saying, now this is what it's going to say. Sometimes we think bold reproof is saying, is just being angry and, you know, you know, it's kind of like this angry thing. No, bold reproof is reproof where we say, speak the truth in love. And he says what it does, it promotes peace. It promotes peace. See, facing the facts is how you have peace in a relationship. And it says this in, in, in the next verse in Ephesians 4. It says, speaking the truth in the spirit of love, we grow up in every way in Christ. If you want to be a, take a next step as a Christian... One of the things that may be holding you back in your relationships and may be holding you back in your relationship with God is the thing that you don't speak the truth in love. You hold things back. You don't, you're not honest with yourself and you're not honest with others. He said if you speak the truth in love, it helps us to grow up. It helps us to grow up in, in every way in Christ. So, what are you pretending is not a problem in your relationships? I mean, what are you just kind of like glossing over and going like, I don't want to deal with that. What are you pretending? You know, anytime I talk with a couple, and I'm, like I said, I've been in ministry 36 years, and uh, 37 years actually. Anytime I talk with a couple and they're, they've had a conflict and there's no peace in their relationship, you know what it tells me? It tells me one thing. Somebody is hiding something. Always. Not, they don't have their, all the stuff on the table. They're not dealing with stuff. Because it's the truth that sets you free. That's what Scripture says. But it's how you share the truth. When, we're, when you're honest about this is not meeting, when you say things like this is not meeting my needs, this relationship, or this is not working out, this is causing great friction among us, then the truth and working through that is what meets, uh, sets you free. But you do it in a spirit of love. Now this is the tricky part. How do you say the truth but do it in a spirit of love? You say it in a way that you value the, other, the relationship. You know, I, I like this little phrase. I don't know where I found it before, but I wrote it down. It, it's this. You are never persuasive when you're abrasive. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. How you say it has a lot to do 
with what the end result will be. When you attack the other person and not the problem, it will almost always cause problems. You've got to stop fixing the blame in order to start fixing the problem. Uh, there is no place in peacemaking for sarcasm and labeling and nagging and judging. You, you know by experience those things don't change anybody anyway. They don't work. Speak the truth in the spirit of love. And this is what it says in Scripture about that. Uh, another verse in Ephesians says this, Do not uh, use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. When you talk in this peacemaking conflict, you say whatever you've got to say, but you've got to say it in a positive way. You can be realistic, you can be optimistic in your relationship, but if you say something offensively, it will be received defensively. So how do you do that? Let me give you seven rules this morning for fighting fair in a relationship, okay? Seven rules for fighting fair in a relationship. And uh, if you want to write these down, that's great, but I don't know if you'll have time, so and you probably don't have any space on your outline. So guess what? I left some copies of this back on the Welcome Center if nobody, all the people didn't take them first service. I don't know. But uh, seven, five, I know everybody's going to rush out there as soon as service over, pick up a copy of these, and then go for them and l- memorize them. Okay, seven rules for fighting fair in a relationship. I borrowed these from somebody else, so I didn't make these up, but I thought they were great. Okay, seven rules. How do you speak the truth? How do you do it in a, pro- in a, in a, in a positive way? Speak the truth and love in a positive way. Number one, never compare. Never compare. Never say, why can't you be like fill in the blank? Or, you're just like your mother or your father or your, you know, you're just like them. Don't say that. Doesn't work. It's unfair to compare. All it'll do is cause more problems. Number two, never condemn. Never condemn. Don't say, you should, you ought, you must. It's all your fault. Whenever you start a sentence with the word you, most likely it's a condemnation. Most likely. You can change it around and say, you know, things like, well, we've got a problem here, or it seems to me, or I feel. That's a totally different feeling in those terms. It's how you say things. It's a learned process. You can say the, the, the same things without condemning the person. Number three, never command. Never command. Never end in an argument by force. I demand that you do what I say. If they're an adult, treat them like an adult. And you might command your children. That probably doesn't work real well either, right? It probably works better than it does with your spouse. But the reality is never command. Never command. Number four, never challenge. Don't threaten people. Just try that and see what, the, what happens. You ever heard anybody say, just try that and see what happens? As they put their hands on their hips and snarl, you know. Don't throw down the gauntlet. That's a bad idea. You know the most commonly used items and threats in, in relationships and marriage relationships? You know what the three most commonly used items are? Money, sex, and divorce. We throw these out. And guess what they do? They, you always lead to conflict when you throw those out. You're deteriorating the relationship every time you do that. You're not building up when you're tearing down. Never challenge. Number five, never condescend. Never belittle, ridicule, or play psychologist. I know why you do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> I laugh because most of us don't even understand our own motives. How do we think we understand somebody else? Maybe we know them better than we know ourselves. I don't know. Maybe so. But the deal is never condescend. Never contradict. Never contradict. Never interrupt in the middle of a sentence. Wait to take your turn to talk. It's not a debate if it's about a relationship. It's trying to build a relationship, not trying to debate your point. But so often that's what our problem is. And finally, never confuse. Never confuse. Never bring up an unrelated issue when you side tra- when, when, uh, where you sidetrack or create diversions. I've seen people do this before. <laughs> um, we're, we're in a conversation, they'll, they're kind of like losing the argument. And so they'll bring up something totally unrelated. You know, what, what, but what about this? You know, stick to the issue. Stick to the issue. So if you'll do those seven things, you'll learn to attack the problem rather than the person. P-E-A-C. C. Cooperate as much as possible. Cooperate as much as possible. Look for areas where you can compromise. Try to find areas of common ground where you can be flexible, where you can meet in the middle, where you can give a little, uh, give a little and, get, and get a little. There's tons of verses about this, folks, tons. For instance, Romans 12, 18 says, Do everything possible on your part to live at peace with all men. Is it, does it say it's possible to always live at peace? No, it says do everything possible on your part to live at peace with all men. In James 3.17 it says, But the wisdom from above that comes from God is first of all pure. It is also what? Peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of the good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Wisdom is willing to yield to others is what it's saying. Wisdom allows discussion. If you're wise, you'll compromise. It's wise. It's dumb to be inflexible. You cooperate as much as possible. Let me listen to this. This is important. In my experience, more marriages die from inflexibility than from adultery or abuse or alcohol or anything else. They die from inflexibility. People just unwilling to change, unwilling to move, to budge. And, and you know what? And you know what, what, what the excuse people give all the time? They say this all the time. They say, we're just not compatible. I think that's a myth. And let me give you two examples of two of the, the most well-known psychologists in America that have said they believe it's a myth as well. Dr. Paul Turnier, who wrote the book To Understand Each Other, writes, the so-called incompatibility, so-called incompatibility is a myth. It's invented by jurists in order to plead for divorce. It is likewise just a common excuse for people just to hide their own failings. Misunderstandings and mistakes can be corrected where there is a willingness to do so. The problem is a lack of complete frankness. Dr. Paul Pompano, director of the Institute of Family Relations, said, I don't believe incompatibility exists. Almost any two people are compatible if they try to be. Amen, I'll see you later. What is this saying? This whole idea is if you want to have a relationship, you need to be a peacemaker. You're going to be somebody who's willing to, to yield sometimes. You see, your marriage, your partnership, your friendship is what what you will make it. 
it will become whatever you're both committed to making it. People can learn to get along if they're, if they're both willing to do one thing, be unselfish. But it requires compromise. In all my years of counseling couples, I've discovered there are basically five major areas of conflict, almost always. I can almost tell you that before people walk in the door, here's one of the five things they're going to talk about. It's been an area of conflict. It's either money, sex, kids, in-laws, believe it or not, or schedule. And guess what? Every one of those areas requires compromise. You got to compromise in all those areas. You cannot get your own way any, any, all the time in those areas. You le- need to learn to compromise so you co- cooperate as much as possible. James chapter 3, verse 18 says, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, and then guess what will happen? They'll reap a harvest of righteousness. In a relationship, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you plant seeds of peace, you're going to reap a, a peaceful relationship. If you plant seeds of inflexibility, you're going to reap a harvest of conflict. If you plant seeds of compromise, it will reap great reward in your life. But you plant seeds of dominance and insistence on your way, and you will wreak havoc in your relationships. I love what it says here in Psalm 37. It says this, A wonderful future awaits those who do what? Who love peace. So compromising pays off. P-E-A-C-E. Last one. You're going like, wow, last point. Okay. If we're going to have peace in our relationships and learn from this, the thing we have to do is we need to emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Huge difference. Let me give you, go to the next slide. Let me show, give you a definition of, of what these are, the due differences. Reconciliation means to reestablish the relationship. Resolution means to resolve every issue. Is number two ever a possibility? Resolution to resolve every issue? I would say no. Not exactly the way you want it to. Reconciliation, yeah, you can reestablish a relationship. Why is it not possible that we always will resolve everything? Because we're all shaped differently. I've used the acrostic many times to talk about who, who God made us to be. It's the, the acrostic shape, S-H-E-A-P-E. And uh, Rick Warren many years ago used this acrostic, and I love it. It's really easy to remember that all of us have, God has designed us in, in some ways, and all of us have a shape I'm not talking about your oval or your round or your skinny or, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about shape. Shape. Number one, you all have, if you're a Christian, you all have spiritual gifts. The Bible says you all have spiritual gifts. God has given them to you. They're all different. The Bible says that they're all different, and not everybody has all the gifts, and not everybody has, not everybody has one gift. It's like they're all a conglomeration of that. Number two, everybody has uh, H, has heart, have passions. You have passions about certain things, Okay? I'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, all of us have, the A stands for abilities. All of us have different abilities. All of you have a bunch, a bunch of, all of you have some abilities, lots of abilities. They're not the same as their spiritual gifts. They're different in many ways, but there are things that you are born with, and sometimes you develop these as well. You have abilities. P, you all have personalities, and some of you are different. All of us are different in different ways in personality. 
E, experiences. We all have multitudes of experiences, right? You think back in all your life, you have educational experiences, you have, um, you have spiritual experiences. The ones you learn from the most are probably the ones we don't want to learn from the most, but those are what we call the difficult experiences of life, the times we've gone through struggle. We have all these, and so you put all that together, and guess what? We're all different in multitudes of ways. We have different backgrounds, different gifts, different personality, all these things. I mean, this weekend, my wife's not here. She, uh, she's doing something she loves to do. She called me yesterday, and she goes, honey, I'm having such a great time. And I said, I'm so glad for you. She's at a scrapbooking retreat. <laughs> Doesn't that sound awesome? No. She loves to go over and she gets all these ladies and they sit around and, and they have all, I mean, we have a whole room at the house. It's the scrapbooking room, you know, and she got like tons of stuff and she has all these incredible, these incredible scrapbooks, our whole history of our family and history of the world and, and all these things in scrapbooks, you know, and, and, they're, and they're incredible, they're not just pictures. I mean, I'm talking about detail stuff and, and so what she does is once a month she goes over here to scrap-a-doodle and, and her and a couple other ladies, a few other ladies she knows, they get together and they scrapbook and they, they, a few weeks ago she said, honey, would you mind me going up to this place? It's up in Sycamore, Illinois. I didn't know where Sycamore, Illinois was. I had to look on a map. It's near DeKalb, DeKalb. And it's up near there, and it's this little tiny town and there's this great bed and breakfast up there. And guess what the people that run it do? They cater to scrapbookers. Literally every weekend, they have a dozen ladies. I don't know if any guys ever have done it in the history of the world. A dozen ladies who go up there, and they bring all their stuff. In my wife's truck, when, I, when she left Friday to go to the scrapbooking retreat, she'll be back this afternoon. When she left, her whole trunk of her Honda Accord was filled up with scrapbooking stuff. She had to put her suitcase in the back seat. Everybody says, bring all your stuff, you know, and they feed them, and they sit her. I have a great time. She, and I'm going like, and she calls, she, she calls me yesterday and says, honey, I was talking to the ladies I went with, and there's another one of these that's open right now in October, the end of October. Would you mind if I go? Fine. You know, if somebody asked me to go to that, I would think they asked me to go to hell. I mean, now, you know, I mean, for me, you know, if, if, if one of you guys decide, it, this is just a thought, okay, if you guys decide to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for a four-day golf vacation where we play golf until our arms fall off and whatever and do that, that is great. My wife would think that was hell. <laughs> See, I'm married to a person. I have a great relationship with a person. It's not a perfect relationship with a person who has... Totally. Will we ever resolve the issue of whether you know, we have, both have to like scrapbooking? No. It's all right. But we can still have established a relationship and, and, and not be caught because we have to be the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can't be any more obvious than that. Okay. So you can, be, you can disagree without being disagreeable. You can have unity in a relationship without you having uniformity. You can walk hand in hand in a relationship without seeing eye to eye. See, when you focus on the relationship, the issues that need to be resolved often become irrelevant. 
Certainly not worth ruining the relationship over. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know the word there, the word reconciliation is a synonym for peacemaker? That's what it is. It says God is a peacemaker. And he has made peace with us. He's allowed us to have a relationship with him. He's made peace with us through whom? Through Jesus Christ. And once we become, come to peace with, have peace with God, one of the things he wants us to do is all of us, this is not just for a few, all of us are to be people who have a ministry of, means that we're to be people who are peacemakers in all of our relationships. So, what does that mean in your life? Who do you need to seek reconciliation with? A partner, a husband, a wife, daughter, son? I mean, for many of you, one of the real issues that needs to be reconciled may be with a parent. Your parents, guess what? I know you didn't know this already, but your parents were imperfect. They are imperfect, and they will be imperfect. So guess what they raised? This is not hard. This is not a huge leap. They raised imperfect children. But sometimes because of that, growing up, we expect our parents to like really get the, to have their act together, even when they don't. And so often I've seen what happens is when you focus on somebody, you, the people start resenting people. When they focus on somebody you resent, guess what? You actually begin to pick up their traits. You're going, no, no. You see, we begin to resemble those you resent. What happens is... You have resented a parent so long about something you got married and what, all that frustration you had with them growing up. All of a sudden, you took it off that parent, and guess what you focus upon? You focus upon your mate. And is that fair? No. You're still reacting to a parent, and you're hurting your marriage because you've never dealt with this. You've never reconciled the relationship back then, and it affects every relationship along the way. So where are you having conflict? How do you become a peacemaker? And the Bible tells it here pretty easy. The first thing, the first step it says, it says, God has been a reconciler, made peace with us through what? Jesus Christ. The only way you and I are ever going to be peacemakers in our relationships and have peace in our life is, first of all, to know Jesus Christ. Because remember when we started this whole series, and I, said, and I read the verse again today, it says, it says, it says there in, 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 uh, in uh, Galatians, it says, when we're, it says the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit controls our life, guess, he says what he'll do, it says he will produce, the Holy Spirit will produce in our life love, joy, peace, and you just keep going down the list. It's not something we can conjure up ourselves because we are not naturally people who, who do these things. None of these five things we've talked about today. But we can allow God to work in us and take the next step of becoming the peacemakers that God wants us to. You know, when you're filled with anger, almost anything can tick you off, right? When you're filled with anger? You've been around people like that? Don't poke them. You know, but when you're filled with God's peace, almost nothing can tick you off. It's kind of like, like a toothpaste tube. You know, whatever's inside you, when you put the squeeze on, it will come out, right? If you're filled with God's peace, when you put the squeeze on, the world puts the pressure on you, his peace is going to come out. But when you're filled with yourself and your ego and your pride, and when the world puts the pressure on, that's what's going to come out. 
Two verses I want to end with, and then we'll have a closing song. The Bible says in Colossians 3, it says, and let the peace that comes from Christ do what? Rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts. That's what we want to rule in our hearts. And it only happens as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, to fill us, and to, and to, to produce in our life these things. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace. And then in 2 Peter 1, it says, do you, not know, do, you, do you want to know more and more of God's kindness and peace? That's a question. Do you want to know more of God's kindness and peace? The answer should be, for any sane person, yes. Okay? It tells us how to do that. It says, then learn to know him better and better. You want to have a peaceful life. You want to know God's kindness. You want to live a life of love, of joy, all these things. You get to know him better. Not just know about him, but know him better. See, Jesus Christ can take the broken pieces of life and replace them with his unbroken peace. And when you make peace with God, then you get the peace of God. And when, you, when the peace of God is in your life, then you can begin to have peace with other people that you never thought possible. How do you make peace? How? And so the question today is this, have you made peace with God? The only way to do that is not to be religious. The only way to do that is to say yes to Jesus Christ. And then once you've said yes to Jesus Christ, then the next step is to yield to his Holy Spirit, which means every day I come before him and say, God, I want, to, want your spirit to direct my life, to guide my life. And it says if the Holy Spirit controls our life, then he will produce in our lives the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's what we all want. And that we got to go through that process. It's a step by step, by step process. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, that's your first step. And if you've never done it before, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that if you want to know more about what that means. So all you got to do is in your bulletin, there's a little tab you tear off and you put your name on it and you put it like on the back. How do I begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and turn it into the Welcome Center? I'll call you this week and we'll have a conversation. Myself or one of the other staff or one of the other folks in the church. But for the majority of you here, you probably have already made that step. And your next step and your continuing step every day is to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Because once you say yes to Jesus, God's Spirit comes in our life. He doesn't overwhelm you. He just simply begins to guide you as you will yield to that Spirit day to day. And the, the results of that will be obvious. It'll be the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much today for your love and your goodness and your, and, and your word. Man, it's, this is so clear um, in regard, at least in my mind, it's so clear in regard to what you say about how to live life in a way that's filled with love and joy and peace and patience and all these things, God. So often we feel, feel like some kind of learned process, but no, really, God, it's learning to yield to your spirit each day, to coming to you daily and not just talking about you, God, but saying, God, I want to have a relationship with you that affects everything in my life. And in doing so, God, I, I just want to yield to your spirit, say yes to your spirit, and even before I know what it is you want me to do uh, and to, to be, you simply, I will simply, the answer will be yes. Yes, God. And in doing so, God, you will begin to produce in us all these things. And not one of them is bad. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these different ones. 
God, if there's someone here, and I'm sure there is in a room this size, someone here who's struggling with relationships and have not reconciled the relationship, maybe the very first thing that that person needs to do today is to go home and get on the phone and set up a peace conference, a meeting, and then get with that person that they're struggling with and simply sit down and say, hey, we're having a struggle. Tell me what your point And listen. And begin to work through the process, God. And, and, and the outcome would be, long term, would be closeness that they've never experienced before in that relationship. Thank you, God, for all the things you say in your word about this. Guide us this week in all that we do and say that we would just uh, seek you, God, first in all things. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.